brother or my brother-in-law, or yes, it's my son. And especially for the first many years, they would say somewhat tepidly, well, what's he doing now? And they expect to, expected to hear, well, he's in prison, or he's in an insane asylum, or he's, he's dead. They really expected to hear that. And so when my um, brother, sister-in-law, mother would say, well, actually, he is a preacher, A preacher? Yes. And he's evangelizing or he's pastoring in Oklahoma or he's pastoring in California and their jaws would just come unhinged. Well, enough time has gone on that now pretty much word has got around that that's what happened to Larry Booker. And uh, and so now when they see the names to this day, they'll say, uh, is it true he's he's a preacher? Yes, it's quite true. Really? Yes. And they go through it. Well, we were in this Chinese food restaurant, and my brother sitting across from me, and he said, Larry, there's a lady about five tables back. She keeps turning around in her chair and staring at you. I said, really? And so I kind of turned around, and she was staring at me, and I smiled, and she didn't, and she just stared, and, and I knew I was supposed to know her. It was back there somewhere, but I couldn't bring it up. And so presently she was standing at the table. I looked up, and she said, you don't know me, do you? And I said, I know I should. She said, you're Larry Booker, aren't you? I said, yes. She said, is it true you're religious? And I said, yes, it's, it's quite true. I'm very, uh, yes, I'm very religious. I, I pastor a church in California. And she looked at my family and she said, you do know he was not voted the most likely to be religious in our, in our high school class. And they said, oh, yes, we very much know. I went through all of that to tell you what Brother Nathan Morton preached to you is exactly right. There's a whole lot more Larry Bookers out there. There's a whole lot more Mike Rokies. There's a whole lot more of you out there, I'm telling you. And they are hungry. There are hungry, hungry people in this world. I'm finding more of them every day. And, and I'm not going to preach this. I, I wanted to, but I'm, I'm going another direction because I feel compelled to the Holy Ghost to do so. But don't ever think that God is not in the business of pouring out the Holy Ghost. And young people, listen to me. Listen to me. God will use you. And he will use your hand. And he will use your faith. And you can give Bible studies. And I've been thinking, and, and uh, the youth here and... and uh, my son, Brother Joel, his help, Brother Michael, we've had all kinds of contests for outreach and this and that. Uh, to the Rialto young people, I'm going to tell you a contest. 
we're fixing to go into, and it's long range, we're going to have Bible study contests of who of our youth can give the most Bible studies. And you watch and see what happens. God is fixing to do some awesome things. We need to have some Bible study contests. Who can teach the most Bible studies? And I think the, 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 what's going to follow along with that is you're going to be surprised, young people, is how many people you can pray through to the Holy Ghost. You can pray people through to the Holy Ghost in their homes. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God, God is ready to pour out his spirit right now, right now. And I wanted to talk about that. But I do feel compelled to go another direction. And I'm not, I'm not sorry. I, uh, I, I, want, I want to obey him. And uh, so God knows who this is for. God knows who this is for. I just want to leave here knowing that I tried to obey the Lord. Thank you, uh, Brother Johnson. Thank you, this church. Thank you, Brother Burgess. Thank you, everybody, again, for hosting this, putting this together. And I think the meeting in Houston is a grand idea. And uh, God is doing great things. Yeah. That's, that's funnier than you think, <laughs> Fort Worth. All right. All right. <laughs> you know, my, the people in our church, they love for me to give announcements. I am the announcement butcher of Pentecost. It is, I mean, it's hilarious. They hold their breath when I'm giving an announcement because they never know. I could tell you stories that you'd cringe. But anyway, all right, Fort Worth it is. Sounds good to me. Praise God. All right, but it's a good idea wherever you have it. <laughs> okay, let's go to the word of the Lord. I think I can get that down right. Hope. First Samuel chapter 18. We're going to begin reading at verse number 7. There's some under the sound of my voice that have heard this, and uh, I don't apologize. Um, if it bothereth you, take it up with the Lord. Amen. Verse 7, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the javelin, and he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Amen. I want us to pray and ask that God would bless the rest of this session 
And while you're at it, ask God to bless mightily the service tonight where Brother Bass preaches. Lord God, we stand in awe of you. You see this precious congregation. You see our past. You see this moment, and you see all our tomorrows. Give us the mind of your spirit. Give us understanding. Give us revelation. Give us illumination, God. Help us to walk with you and to talk with you. And God, 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 help us, Lord, to understand the way that you work in your plan of the ages. In Jesus' name, we commit all of this and the service tonight into your hands. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. I thought about the question Brother Pixler asked when he said, is anybody tired? I think most of you arrived tired, praise God. But there is something about services such as this. There is a, an enriching and an empowering that takes place. And with that anointing, there comes a strength. Now, when you get on your buses and in your cars and in your vans and on the planes, you will collapse, praise God. But, but for now, we are sustained by the presence of God and anticipation of good things from him. Can you say amen? I feel of all the Bible characters that could have been talked about in this session, there are few that we are probably as familiar with as we are David. To me, he is one of the central characters of Scripture as well as the ongoing plan of the ages with God. And I have a host of reasons for that. When any time you figure that the name Abram or Abraham is found in Scripture 300 and I think it's 18 times, and yet and he is the father of the faithful, but David's name is found over 1,000 times, amen, actually over 1,100 times, then you need to really pause and stop and consider. When you also consider that of the names of the Bible of which many are replicated, even somewhat the name of Jesus. There were some people in New Testament times referred to as Jesus, but their names were changed quickly after the advent of our Lord. But there is only one character in all the Bible referred to as David. Today we call many sons by the name of David. But in that day and throughout the Scripture, there is one and only one David. There's many Jameses, there's more than one Saul, and we could go on and on, but there's only one David. He, like this congregation, the vast majority of this congregation was a young man at one time. He knew what it was to be your age, young person, whatever that age is. You may be here at the age of 12 or 13 on up. He was your age at one time. And he lived for God in his generation, served the Lord in his generation with adversities as poignant, as painful as any that you face. And yet, he made it because he determined that he would 
serve the Lord with all of his heart. We find him, amen, not chronologically in Scripture, but chronologically in life. One of the first jobs that we know of is that he is placed in a field to guard his father Jesse's sheep. In the process of doing that, this young man, very young man, certainly, certainly under the age of 15, probably more somewhere between 12 and 13, somewhere possibly, probably. And, and yet at that age, one day a lion determined to steal a kid, a baby lamb from that flock, probably a lamb that Jesse, his father, didn't even know existed. And therefore his loss would have even been unknown to his father, or at least minimal, because it wasn't like a full-grown uh, ready ram or, lamb or sheep. But he took a kid of the flock, and David could have turned his face he could have closed his eyes. He could have pretended that it wasn't happening. And, and nobody would have ever known. And the sheep would not have had a council over it and voted him out. He would have known, however. And his God would have known. And there was something in his nature that he said, not on my watch. It's not going to be that way. And I don't want it to get around Lionville that if you want a cheap free lunch, you go to David's, and he don't care. So he took that lion by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, and he slew him. And when a bear was as foolish enough to try the same, it did not matter. Same principles at work in the young man's heart, and he slew the bear. And please take note that God took note of this young man and his burden for the sheep of the flock. And he decided early, amen, we know from the foundations, but early in David's life, amen, we can put it in these terms, that it was decided that this young man makes a good shepherd. This young man cares for the flock. It doesn't matter if it's a baby if it's a young child or a full-grown uh, sheep or ram, he is a defender. And therefore, I will use this young man and his, and his zeal and his courage and his determination, and one day he will shepherd my people Israel. We know also that he was a tremendous musician. And I'm working on some of this, but... It's interesting to note that David is a prophet. He is referred to as a prophet in the New Testament. And we know that many prophecies concerning, amen, Messianic prophecies are found in his writings, some of the clearest, most distinct. He is a prophet, and yet we have no instance, not one, of him ever prophesying or working in prophetically except through his music. And the songs, the psalms that were given us. Now, that's enough said on that. I'm working on some of that. But here, this young man, he was mighty in valor. Word got out that he was. He was cunning on the harp. 
He was obviously deeply spiritual. And all of these things one day came to the attention of a very, 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 very troubled man by the name of Saul, who was the king of Israel. He was troubled because he had created his own troubles. He had created his troubles with his own rebellions, his own insubordinations. He did not obey the man of God, Samuel. He did not obey the man of God's God, his God. He thought that his ideas were as good as any preacher's. He thought that his way was as good as anything prescribed, amen, by authorities above him. And he somehow took his, his office of being king to his head. And he believed in a split-level anarchy whereby you do as I say and I do what I want. And so in the process of all of that, the anointing left him as it tends to happen. It would come on him every once in a great while for God's own purposes and for teaching lessons, etc. But for by and large, the man was totally lost out with God. The number one reason was he didn't know how to repent. He did not know how to truly humble himself. And can I tell you, young people, if you ever learn anything, learn the value of the altar. Learn the value of how to, from the depths of your heart, say, God, I am so sorry, and mean it. And don't play games with him. Mean it. And if you have to do it quite often, you do it, but you do it from your heart. And Saul never mastered that art. Somehow there was an iniquity in him. There was a self-will in him that would not humble itself and would not crumble. And so he went off into a fog of a sad, non-God-existent life. And can I tell you, you don't want to go there. You want God. You need God every day and every hour. He lost out with God because he lost out in obeying the man of God in his life, which was Samuel and the man that had indeed anointed him Amen, as a messenger from God for his office. And because the Spirit of the Lord left him and God allowed a demon to take its place, yea, demons plural. And so now with an evil spirit and evil spirits surrounding him and whirling around his world and his mind and his spirit, he became a very, very, very unenjoyable man to be around. Amen. He, to say he was grumpy was putting it lightly. He was ferocious. He was ugly. He was, he, he, was, he was cruel. He could be cruel with his tongue and cruel with his ways and cruel with his manner. He became a man so, so conscious of, 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 of his kingdom and his role and his, and his position and, and all of those things. Amen. And, and it got to where nobody could stand to be around him, and apparently people of those days knew some things about God that maybe we don't know as much as we think we do. Because somebody said, we need to find an anointed musician to play that will drive these spirits away from our king. 
And somebody said, I know the man. He's very young, but he's very valorous, and he plays cunningly with the harp. And so things were set in order, and amen, and set in motion, and by and by, here comes this young stripling of a lad, this probably red-headed, probably somewhat freckled-faced character, and, and, and he, he comes into Saul's kingdom on a bad day, and, 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 and he begins in the background of the whirling and twirling of Saul's mind and spirit. Something begins to break through, and it's, it's the music. And by and by, he's taking some deep breaths, and his mind is clearing, and he's feeling better. And he's looking around. He's come out of his fog, and he sees his generals and his friends and his servants, and he sees the young man. And he said, whatever you do, if I can interpolate, don't stop playing. And the young man plays with all of his heart. And Saul is refreshed, and you can deal with him now. You can, you can talk to him now. You can get reasonings out of him now. And so it is that David plays the harp that refreshes the man and helps him and helps his thinking and his life, and he becomes back to normalcy, which if I can stop right here, I think it's one reason why there's several, uh, in, throughout my life I've seen several sinner peoples that come to our services that really enjoy it. They, they many times don't make a move and whatever, but, but they come and they like it. They like to worship. They like the music. And they don't even know why they like it so much. But often we hear something along this line, I feel so at peace when I'm here. Well, I'll tell you why. Because good, Holy Ghost, godly, anointed music is driving some things away and they find refreshment. Amen. So don't ever let anybody sell you a bill of goods, that music doesn't matter. And that we have to relate to our generation. I got a word for you. They need relief from their generation, and they need relief from the stuff that's being propagated as music. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And why some of us are going where they're that in their misery, I can't fathom. Hallelujah. All I know is when I came to the house of God and they were the songs of Zion, I felt better. I enjoyed it. I loved it. You can rest assured that David would not have driven away one demon if he'd have started playing boogie-woogie. And Saul would not have been refreshed. And he'd have stayed in his whirling, swirling misery. Now, the demons would have enjoyed it and said, play on. But he would not have been helped. So, and there's wide spectrums, I understand. But there's just something you just know when it's right. The Holy Ghost is given to us for a reason. So he loved David. The Bible says he actually became an armor bearer to him. We don't understand the idiosyncrasies of all the chronological events, how this works out in, in fine play between the two. 
We have the highlights. We do know that finally there came a day when there arose an army from the Philistines and Saul raised his armies and went to face them. And rather than a battle ensuing, a giant by the name of Goliath aroused and stood on a far side of a valley and he said, no use, bunch of un, amen, a bunch of wasted blood, no use for slaughter, send me a man. And if I defeat him, then Israel is subject to the Philistines. And if he defeats me, then Philistia will be subject to the Israelites. And he did this morning and night and apparently became bolder and bolder in his blasphemy, in his boldness, in his callousness, in his haughtiness. And the more brazen he became, the more callow a man Israel became, and the more and longer Saul stayed in his tent. And this went on for 40 days. And finally, David, who was back at his father's house, amen, his father said, your brethren are down at the war. I want you to take him some foodstuffs. So they laid in the wagons, and he began to make their way down. David is dispersing the goods, and everybody seems thrilled, and all of a sudden they hear the sound of the giant. It is the morning of the 40th day. He goes through his routine, and people are hiding behind rocks and trees and, and running and fleeing, and, and David is standing there amazed. Finally, somebody whispers at him from behind the rock, says, you know what's going to happen to the guy that kills him? He's going to be made rich. His house is going to be made free, no taxes, no undue servitude, and he's going to marry one of the king's daughters. He'll be a prince in Israel. And I think right here it gives us one of the many insights into why David was a man after God's own heart. And if you ever wondered why, this is one of the main reasons, not the only one. He said, what? What shall be done to the man that kills that uncircumcised Philistine and takes away the reproach of the armies of the living God? You mean to tell me we have fallen so low and so far as a people that we can't get somebody to do the will of God simply because it's the will of God and it needs to be done. Do you mean to tell me that it's got so bad that unless there's awards and rewards and, and paydays and pats on backs and, and all kinds of goodies thrown in, you can't get somebody to do the will of God? God bless anybody, but God bless the young person that gets a burden for the work of God. They don't need an assignment. They don't need an office. They just want an opportunity to do something for God. And I got a word for you. God looks at the little things, and the little things prepare the way for the big things. Can I it amazes me sometimes how many pieces of paper can allowed to be collected 
on a church parking lot and so many people drive by him and see him and nobody sees him. Is, 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 do you got to have an office to pick up a piece of trash and make it look better? There ought to be something that says, this is my church. This is my church. There are people going to drive by this place. I'm a part of this. Hallelujah. Yeah. We could go down that rabbit trail ad infinitum. But David, there was something rose up. He said, I can't believe this. This is why his oldest brother Eliab got on his case. He said, Oh, I know you and the pride and the naughtiness of your heart. You've just come down here to see the battle. And David's answer is, what have I now done? Apparently this went on between them quite often. And, and he said, is there not a cause? I'm not here to put on the dog. I'm here to tell you that giant is a reproach to God, and he's coming down today. And he goes to Saul. We know the story. Before the day's over, he's down at the brook. He's getting out five smooth stones. Five smooth stones, amen. He's, he's, he's not just getting three, and it's like the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. There was something about David. He was zealous. And, and there's been a lot of speculation what the five smooth stones represent. And, and often I, you know, I don't want to cross theologies with anybody, but some say, well, it's the five stones was J-E-S-U-S, which is good if you're spelling it in English. Hallelujah. Don't go to Hebrew. Hebrew. You want to go seven, sometimes nine. But anyway, that's fine. And, uh, and so whatever all it meant, I do feel like I do know what it meant. I got the revelation one day. God showed me what it meant. You want to know what it meant? It meant before this day's over, there's going to be one dead giant. If I don't get him with one stone, I got another. And if that don't get him, I got three. And if that don't get him, I got four. And if that don't get him, I got five. And if that don't get him, I know where the brook is, honey. And I'll go back and I'll get some more. But before this day's over, that giant's going down. We're not going to live that way here. He ain't going to bellow like that in this kingdom. And he takes him down with one shot, stands on his back, gets his sword like a golf club, whoosh. I've never swung one in my life, except at putt-putt, and I always miss. But he was like Tiger Woods that day, whoosh. Let's hope he's a newfound saint that repents and pays his tithes. Praise God. And he takes the head and he sticks it on a pole and he marches all the way to Jebus and he sticks it in the ground and basically says, when the day and the time comes and God raises me where I can, you're next, hallelujah. Something of his nature. 
And so, thank you, the route was on. And the victory was won. And now it's no more shame and no more reproach. And now they're on their way back home. Saul is finally happy. He's smiling. There's victory in the camp. Amen. This young man has made fast friends with his boy, Jonathan. Everybody seems so happy. And now off in the distance, he begins to hear the sound of music. And the women of the cities are starting to come out with timbrels and dance. And they're singing a song, and he begins to hear it. What do you say, Abner? Your name? Really? My name? They get a little closer. Saul has slain his. Ooh. They get a little closer. Starting over. Saul has slain his thousands. And he's beaming. He's so thrilled. He's so excited. Yes! And David has slain his ten thousands. And he turns and looks at the boy. He's just riding along. Join the trip. And Saul looks at Abner. He said, there ain't nothing left to give him but the kingdom. He's got the hearts. And the Bible says, and this is where our text, it came to pass on the morrow. They're back in the king's palace. They're back in the room. Saul's troubled today. He's, he's not as easy in his spirit there's a world starting to take place in his mind. David comes and sits in his spot. It's the same boy, the same anointing, the same burden, the same desire, the same harp, the same music, the same style. And he's playing the same songs. But while he's playing today, Saul's not being refreshed. While he's playing and singing, Saul's not being touched. While he's going through his motions, Saul is wandering around like a cat, amen, in a cage. He makes his way. He takes hold of a spear. And while David's playing in a movement so quick that only God and his child David could catch it. He flings the javelin, and David just barely misses. There's a few more planks on the harp. He picks himself up. Saul's breathing hard. And David goes out, and the room's quiet. And anybody else that was in there. So he gets in a bad way. We don't know if it was a few days or weeks, but now... Saul's really bad. And they say, David, you got to try it again. And the same man with the same anointing and the same song and the same burden and the same harp begins to play the same blessed music. 
And here's the title of what I want to preach to you today. The harp lost its power. Rather, when the harp loses its power. Because now for all his singing and all his ministering, it was still, and he had to flee again. I don't know why I'm preaching this, young people, but I want to preach to you. I beg you, I beseech you, and I am so comfortable preaching this here today because you came and your pastor knew you'd come, and basically from whence cometh this meeting and the burden of this meeting, and I'm not personally worried based on any knowledge that I know of any young person having a situation where you'd be at cross purposes, a man with a pastor that's trying to send you another direction than this direction. You wouldn't be here if they didn't want you here. And they know what this meeting stands for. So there seems to be something in you that says, my pastor cares about me as a person. They care if I really live for God or not. They care if I'm real. They care if I'm sincere. They care if I really am striving to please God in the beauty of holiness. They care if I, amen, want to really win the lost on God's terms and see God's will be done in his way. So I'm very comfortable today. But I also know, as I stated last night, the devil has no conscience. There's no thread anywhere that he will not pull. There's no situation he will not take advantage of. There is no, there's no event, amen, that he will not try and work on if you allow it. I'm begging you today. I don't care what has happened in the past or what happens in the future. Nobody can afford to let the harp lose its power. We all need a harpist in our life. We need somebody that can take the most beautiful instrument that God ever gave and that can use the word of God correctly, amen, and begin to play the songs of Zion and preach out of this messages that help and messages that strengthen and messages that change and messages that build and messages that indoctrinate and messages, amen, that cause us to realize and get the revelation of who Jesus Christ really is and what it takes to walk with him in the spirit and to please him, amen, Thank God for the harpist in your life that'll sing you the songs of Zion and preach to you the word of God. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are three, everybody say three, main things that God uses to perfect a church and a person. First, or let's just say the three of them are the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the man of God. Those are the three main things. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the pastor, the man of God. Ministers that come. That's his three main methods. Of the three, if we were to venture a statement as to which of the three 
have the greatest influence. Initially, we'd probably say, well, the Word more than anything, maybe the Spirit. But I want to propose something to you. Please listen to me closely. As far as immediacy and maybe even longevity, of the three, the greatest influence over even the Word and the Spirit is the man of God. And I can prove it in just a few seconds. Without question, I will erase any doubts in your minds if that's true. Because look at all of our churches around this nation and world that are supposed to be apostolic, Jesus' name, one God, baptized churches. We have the same Bible and hopefully at least started out with the same spirit. Why the vast differences? Same Bible, same spirit, different men, different harpists, playing different music, maybe leaving out notes or whole themes or whole truths or not backing them up or whatever. Amen. And they just sing little ditties here and there and, and just keep everybody smiling and hopping. I personally know of one pastor that in the last year I have been told he himself has preached three times in the last 12 months. And, and the church shows it. Somewhere, if you got a good harpist, honey, and you wouldn't be here if you didn't, you better respect and love and appreciate. And whatever you do, don't let the harpist lose its power. It used to be that when David would play, he would be refreshed. It used to be that when David would play, he would be delivered. It used to be that when David would play, he'd go out with his head on straight and thinking right. It used to be when David would play, his spirit would find peace. But somewhere, somehow, the boy didn't change, the word didn't change, the harp didn't change, the music didn't change, but it lost its power. And Saul refused to let it touch him anymore. And the day you let the harp lose its power, God only can help you, but he probably will not. Because that's the method he's chosen, that through the foolishness of preaching we would be saved. And somewhere, you see, David wasn't the first harpist that lost his power. There was a day anything came out of the mouth of Samuel. It was the oracles of God. Anything the man had to say affected Saul because the Bible said he was humble. Amen. He was head and shoulders, but he was humble. When they announced through the lot directed by God, Saul is the king, they couldn't even find him. He was hiding amongst the stuff. They brought him out. 
he's abashed. He's, you don't feel worthy. He's, he's looking around. I'm not worthy to be king. They put the crown on his head. There's some men of Belial over there saying, that's our king. Forget this. They're gone. They didn't bring him no presents. That went on, but after a while, Jabesh Gilead got in trouble. And the king, Nahash, the king of Ammon, had come there and was threatening to pluck out the right eyes of everybody. And word got to this king. He was still at his house, and he was still plowing. And he heard, and an anger came on him. Can I tell you something? There ain't nothing wrong with Holy Ghost anger. Holy Ghost anger. And a Holy Ghost anger came on him. And long story cut short, he put, amen, the king and the children of Ammon, Nahash, they, sent, they were sent home talking to themselves. And Jabesh Gilead was delivered. It's interesting to note that when Saul finally was slain, who was it that retrieved his body, his headless body, off the wall, rent their garments, fasted seven days. It was the men of Jabesh Gilead. It was 40 years, but they never forgot the day of their deliverance. That's pretty amazing. I've seen people get vast, unbelievable deliverances, and the man God used two weeks later, they don't hardly know their name. They forget the role that preacher played in their life. And the songs that were sung. I'm going to tell you something. Don't forget who's been good to you in life. So at any rate, Saul himself came to the place that he wouldn't listen to the music of Samuel. I'll play it my way. I'll do it what I think's right. And he was rejected, and he wouldn't listen to Samuel anymore. And one day Samuel said, quit talking. In fact, I don't even want you praying for him. Go anoint somebody else. And here he went. One occasion, he's married to his daughter now. He sends men to get him. And he says to Michael, because she'd let him escape, why have you deceived me and sent away mine enemy? There should have been something in Saul's life. He got out of bed every day and said, thank God for David. Where would this kingdom be without David? Where would I be without David? Come on, David, play. Come on, David, lead the armies. But somewhere the harpist lost its power, and this man went into his deep, 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 eventually eternal darkness. When the harp loses its power, Ahab, Elijah! Hast thou found me, O oh, mine enemy? Ahab, Elijah's not your enemy. If you'd repent and get it together right, he's the best friend Israel and you ever had. Don't ever get it in your mind that the man of God is somehow your enemy. He's the best friend you got. Don't let the harpist lose its power. Can I tell you, the very, very, very first lesson the Holy Ghost ever taught me, it was the night, April 6, 1972, 
I received the gift of the Holy Ghost at an altar. And when I'd been speaking in tongues and I opened my eyes, my pastor, I'd only known him since April 2nd, and this was now the 6th, was standing before me. I'd just finished speaking in other tongues, and I looked at my pastor, and I cannot tell you, I'd never felt anything like that before. There was a, ah, that's the man I'm supposed to listen to. It was there. It was the first lesson the Holy Ghost ever taught me. I remember, I remember sitting in the home of a family in that church. They had five children. I remember sitting there eating food, and I'm going to tell you something. I was a skinny, skinny boy. I don't see any young man in this church nowhere as skinny as I was. But the Lord hath blessed. Hallelujah. And while we were eating the okra and the corn and the mashed potatoes and the pork chops and all that stuff, the next dish they started serving was my pastor. And they started talking about my pastor and some of the stands that he had taken and some of the standards that he preached that they didn't personally agree with. I hadn't been in church less than three weeks, and I'm hearing this stuff. I didn't know how churches and things and people, some people, I, I didn't know any of it. This was all new to me. I thought everybody had angel's wings, but I found out the wine is mixed. And so there I was, and I, and I lost my appetite, which was no small feat. And uh, I was no longer hungry, and I, and I didn't get involved in the conversations much after that because something had happened in my spirit. I, I, I didn't know, I'd never been around churches other than Sunday schools from time to time or, or go, you know, one time we went to the, we stole the rum, stuff like that. <clears throat> but so we were, we were there. When I left there, it stayed on me the next couple of days and I, and I went to my pastor. I didn't say anything about what anybody had said. It just was kind of heavy hearted and I went to him and he said, Brother Moss, can I tell you something? He said, sure. He said, I love you. I really love you. And I want you to know I am behind you all the way. I had no idea what that meant to him. I do know this, that one night I was sitting in service, and uh, my pastor was up there preaching, teaching as always. One of the five children was sitting behind me. It was the oldest girl. My pastor was speaking, and he said, Rebellion! I take dominion over you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I looked wide-eyed, and behind me I heard the most blood-curdling scream. It was a sound from the pits of hell. And I come up out of my seat. And their oldest daughter had fit, hit the floor, foaming and frothing at the mouth. She was so demon-possessed. And there was a lot of work did that night to cast the demon out of her. And here it is now, 
all these years later, and of the five children, there's only one that's living for God. Because somewhere the harp had lost its power, and they couldn't hear anymore. It's like I heard Donna Linville tell a story one time how that when she was a teenage girl. She was in a church of about 200, and there was about 12. Her and 11 of the kids were sitting out there in the back, and, and they were just carrying on. They were passing notes and laughing and giggling, not paying a bit of attention and telling jokes. And, and finally the pastor, he, he, he hit his hand on the pulpit, and he said, hey, 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 hey! You kids back there, the devil's using you to disturb this service. When church is over, you stay right where you are. And parents, meet me back there. There they were. Service is over. And uh, everybody kind of filed out. And the parents of the children were sitting back there, the teenagers. And he went back there and he said, I don't ever, ever, ever want you disturbing a service like that. Separate, sit down. And one of the parents spoke up and said, <clears throat> Sir, I don't appreciate you embarrassing my child in front of this whole congregation. And then another parent of a set of kids said the same thing. And then another, and then another. And there was only two of those teenagers left undefended by their parents. And Donna Linville's mother trying to raise her kids alone in the church, father not lifting a finger, she stood up shakily. She said, my mother was a quiet woman. In a quavering voice, she said, Donna, stand up. Donna stood up. She said, you, you, you come over here and you apologize to the man of God. You tell him you're sorry and you make sure that this never happens again. And Donna... When we get home, we're going to finish the business at home. Then the other girl that was left, her mother stood up and did about the same thing. The years have come and gone. Sister Linville said, that's been over 30 years ago now. And she said, of those 12 young people, guess how many of them are living for God today? And guess which two are? Donna and her friend. All the others are gone, and most all the parents. I'm here to tell you, somewhere the harp lost its power. You cannot afford for the harp to lose its power! There's got to be something inside of you! That says, come on, preacher, I want to hear it. Preach to me. I trust you. Come on, let me hear it. Counsel me. Whatever you got to do, I got to be saved. I don't want the harp to lose its power. I'm, 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 I'm finished. I'm cutting through all kinds of stuff. Musicians come. I am going to tell you one last story. One last story. There was a man in the name of Herod. 
he was not a good man. And he didn't come from a good family. And he was king. And he was not known for being a good king. But one day he started hearing about a, a harpist that had come to town. He was off there in the wilderness. And he was preaching for Israel to repent. That was interesting. And then he heard how the soldiers came. And they wanted to get baptized. He said, I'm going to tell you what. Be content with your wages. Do violence to nobody. That's tough for a soldier. That's really something. And Herod heard that. And it's, it's almost as it were that Herod's, let me put it to you like this. He's on the wall of his palace listening to the harpist play. One day the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they come down because the masses, so many are being baptized, he's turning Israel on its ear, you know, and they, they don't want to lose all their power. So they thought, well, we'll get a little baptized, we'll get a little wet, and, the, you know, then the people, they'll listen to us. You know, they're listening to this harpist too much. And so they go down there to get baptized, and, and Herod knew they was nothing but a bunch of double-barrel hypocrites. And so John looks at them and he said, so the snakes have come out to get baptized. You generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Boy, now that's a ditty, isn't it? Amen. Bring forth fruit for repentance. God's able to raise up stones unto Abraham. Don't think that's going to buy you nothing. And man, I mean, here it is. That's it. Shuck the corn, buddy. That's good preaching. Amen. And his wife, Herodias, comes. She's up there with him listening. When John begins to crank his cannon into a new direction, and he raises the elevation up to the walls, and Herod's looking. Yeah? It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Really? I highly recommend you set about to fix that. You're in deep trouble with God. Whoa. He's got guts, don't he? But she's not enjoying the sermon. And she said, you better... Kill him as quick as you can and shut that harpist up. Do you hear me? And the Bible says you can read it for yourself. Go to Mark, but not right now. He arrested him and he put him in prison. He did it to keep from having to kill him because of Herodias. He didn't want to kill the harpist. He just, you know, I don't want her to kill him, so we put him in prison. So, curiosity gets the best of him one day, and he goes down to the prison. He acts like he's checking on all the prisoners. He asks the guard, which cell is the harpist in? 
cell number such and such. Begins to approach the cell, and before he gets there, he hears a voice out of the dark. Hello, Herod. How are you today? <clears throat> Who is that that speaketh? It's me, John the Baptist. Oh, the harp player. Yeah. I hate that I had to do this. I understand. I mean, you know, you, you're a pretty good preacher, really. I do understand. How's Herodias? Oh, you know, she's, she'll get over it. <laughs> hey, they feeding you all right? Well, I don't know. Have you tasted it lately? Are you warm? I get by. I'm praying for you, Herod. Probably never heard words like that in his life. Nobody ever prayed for me. I don't want you to be lost. Yeah, right, you know, I appreciate that. Well, have a good day. Yeah, you too, I mean, you know. And on the way out, he said, you make sure he gets the best food that we can get him and get some blankets in there and clean that sty up. You hear me? The reason I think it was somewhat along that line is because the Bible says that he began to commune with John the oftener. Apparently, there became ongoing conversations where he would come and listen to John. And the Bible said that he, Herod, did many things gladly. The harpist was playing music, and it was affecting him. And he began to make some reforms in the kingdom, and, and he cleaned up this, and he, and he let that unjustly jailed prisoner go, and, 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 and he, he enacted new laws, and, and he, was, he was cleaning the house, and he was doing better. And he'd come down the oftener, the more often. How are you today, John? I'm fine, King. How are you? I'm good. Now I want to ask you another question. Yes, sir. I got this problem. Yes, sir. I just want to run it by you. Be happy to help if I can. And he starts pouring out his heart. And, and the harpist plays. And all he knows is when he leaves the presence of the harpist, he always feels so much better. He feels cleaner. He goes and straightens up. Hey, soldier, you quit treating people like that. And... Everybody could tell there's something happening in the kingdom. And word got out. It's the harpist. He's listening to the harpist. And who knows where it would have ended up. But he had a birthday coming. And the said Herodias decided, I will throw him a party he and this kingdom will never forget. And all of the highest of the land, amen, the princes, the powers that be, amen, the up-and-comers, the money people, the most august group that could be assembled was at Herod's long table. 
And there they are. And it's a surprise. And they, we have a toast to make to you, O king. He says, oh, mine. So it's one toast after another, after another. She's probably got men planted. Toast after toast after toast. She arises at the far end of the table. She makes several toasts herself. More than one's getting a little tipsy. And Herod, cheer! And everybody applauds. He's so happy. He's not thinking about the harpist. He's not thinking about the dungeon. He's not thinking about the prison cell. He's not thinking about reform. He's not thinking about changing his act. He's caught up in the moment. And more drinks and more toasts. And now he's really having him a time. And then the music starts. It's not the music of the harpist. It's not wholesome. It's not uplifting. It's not building. It's seductive and enchanting. It's eerie and leery, and everybody listens. And then a curtain opens, and leaping on the table is the said Herodias' daughter, Salome, ill-clad, barely clad, vilely clad, lewdly clad. And he ain't thinking about the harpist in the dungeon. And everybody's cheering and screaming. And there's another toast, and she starts the dance. It's vile and it's lurid. And the music speeds up and it's higher and faster and it's louder. And she's really going wild. And then with one basic final flip, she comes sliding to his seat. He stands up with a wobbly hand in his drunken state with all of his buddies all of the princes, all of the rich men. He said, I'll give you anything you want to the half of the kingdom. She arises. She prances back to the far end of the table. Her mother's ready. She whispers in her ear. She comes back. And with a loud enough voice that everybody at the table hears it, I want the head of the harpist. I want his voice shut. I want him where he can't preach anymore. No more songs, no more music. I want his head on a platter on this table in a charger, and I want it now. He flops down into his chair. All the color's gone from his face. He is very sober right now. Everybody's listening because everybody knew the power of the harpist. And cups are being lowered. And you can hear the pin drop. And she smirkingly smiles. 
he didn't want to kill him. He liked him. But all the people were listening. They'd all heard him. He'd made the oath. He was so far out of sight, so far out of mind. Here came a soldier. Go get the head of the harpist and the charger. Put it on the table. And I don't know how many men went down there. Maybe they heard John. And oh God, whatever happens this dreadful night, help the king. Help him. Stands up before the key turns. They come in. He straightens his rags. He says, I'm ready to go. They chop off his head. The party upstairs is subdued. When the soldiers come in, it grows deathly quiet. The charger is laid before Herod. And when the top is lifted, the sightless eyes of the best friend he'd ever had in the world that would never sing another song, never offer any advice, no more counsel, no more prayers. The harp had lost its power. One by one, the guests would get up, excuse themselves, go their way, Defiantly, it was only John, his head, the king, his conscience, and the said Herodias, who smilingly lifts up from the chair at the far end of the table and saunters out. Let's stand. And the harp had lost its power. No more music. Dreadful days, empty days, horrid days, pitiful days, callous days, and weeks and months. And he begins to hear about a new harpist in Israel. This one raises people from the dead. This one opens blinded eyes. This one will feed 5,000 or 7,000. This one, a man has so much. This one, and some said it is the harpist, Jeremiah, come back. Some said it's Elijah. Some said it's Elias. Amen. But who do you say it is? But Herod said, no, it's my harpist. It's John the Baptist. I couldn't kill him. He's back. God brought him back. He's becoming unhinged. Things happen when you, when you kill the harpist in your life. Things get weird. Things grow strange. I could tell you stories right now that will curl your toenails of people that I've tried to pastor that at one time they loved me. I could do no wrong. They loved me to preach, to counsel, but somewhere in the road of life, the harp lost its power. 
and I couldn't reach him and I couldn't touch him. I couldn't do anything right. And the horror stories of them and their children. I've seen others that lost the power, but their children said, I don't care what. I love you. I respect you. But that's my pastor, and I'm going to live for God. I'm Pilate sent him a present one day. It was a harpist. He was sitting before him. John was so excited of long season he'd wanted to see Jesus. I want a song. It's been so long since I heard a song. Would you show me a miracle? Tell me something. But the Bible said, Jesus answered him not one word. You killed the best friend you ever had. You killed the harpist. Don't expect me to sing you a song. And when Jesus refused to play, he had him beaten, and he sent him off to Pilate. I was going to preach something else. I was already prepared to close with a hop, skip, and a jump. I don't know who I'm talking to or why I'm talking to you, but you're young enough. Please get something down in your heart right now. By the grace of God, I will never let the harpist lose its power. You need to let your pastor know you love him. You need to let him know you appreciate him. You need to let him know his prayers, his time, his efforts, those messages. You don't take them lightly. Oh, God, thank you for the harpist in my life. And if there's anybody here right now that you have determined from this moment, God, I will never, please, by the grace of God, I will never, never let the harp lose its power. Let's find a place to pray. Let's make some dedication. 